wellness episodes are some of my favorite episodes on the show these days, and we've got a great one for you today. We've got Dr. Amy Shaw on the program to discuss her latest book, I'm So Effing Hungry, Why We Crave What We Crave and What to Do About It, which came out last week. I want to say for the record here and now that I have always said that a Coke from McDonald's just tastes better. And this book and this conversation proves my theory right. I always have said that. Today we talk about why we crave what we crave, steps to control those cravings, how to figure out if we're really hungry or just thirsty or bored, and so much more. This is Dr. Shaw's second book, the follow-up to I'm So Effing Tired, which came out last year, and I can't wait to read that. That's on my list right now. She is a medical doctor and an Instagram personality. You can find her at FastingMD and was trained at Cornell, Columbia, and Harvard, so no big deal. Her passion is helping others live healthier and happier lives, and even though she's the doctor here, she believes everyone is each their own best doctor. You are going to love this conversation. I wish I had this book half my life ago. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to dive into this material. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. And I really appreciate you saying that because um, I think that there's so much in there that I wish I had known many years ago also. Well, this book follows the success of your first book, I'm So Effing Tired, which I can't wait to take a look at. We just were talking about that a minute ago, and I need to add that to my reading list immediately. And this book, I'm So Effing Hungry, gives us two big reasons why we are just that, so effing hungry. Food manufacturers and a psychological response, or said another way, emotionally eating, which is a concept I am very familiar with. So can we unpack both of those food manufacturers and, and a psychological response? Why do those impact our hunger levels? I think the best, easiest way to summarize it is that the dopamine explosion that happens in your brain from processed foods could never be recreated in nature. And so it, it begs the question of why would we ever even want to eat anything from nature? If we can get a better dopamine explosion from processed food. And that's what's going on is, um, your, our brain is wired to crave things that give it dopamine explosions, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we go for these processed foods that are engineered to give us the biggest, largest, like, you know, most enticing explosion, then the problem with dopamine is that it quickly wears off and you get this desire to have it again. And it's even stronger than the first time. So then you end up being addicted to foods that are not actually foods with nutrition in nature they're very smart. They create this dopamine uh, explosion in foods that are going to keep you um, uh, fed and um, are full of nutrition. And um, the whole point of it is to keep you motivated to have more of those, right? So Mm -hmm. the big problem with ultra processed foods these days is that it's providing us little nutrition with all the downside. Um, and I think for kids, it's a really difficult sell 
um, of having an orange that they have to peel and that has fibers and, you know, um, takes effort and then doesn't give them that dopamine explosion that the candy does. And it's, unless you understand what's happening, it's very, very easy to fall into the trap of just eating a predominantly ultra processed diet. Well, that's a good segue into my next question is why do we crave what we crave? We crave what we crave because it's a biological um, and neurological pathway to help us survive. So if you can imagine, you know, when um, we, um, you know, find a mate, when we get good food, when we um, make an amazing home for ourselves, um, our brain rewards us with dopamine. And that's kind of the biological cue to keep motivated at doing that thing. Okay. So it makes sense in an evolutionary perspective to create these dopamine pathways to keep you motivated on your journey of survival, you know, and Mm -hmm. procreation and growth. Um, and then, but now if you don't understand how these pathways work, you might not realize that some of them are being hijacked, um, and they're being hijacked. Um, you can say knowingly or unknowingly, but I will say knowingly, um, so that you buy more of that food or you play more of that video game, or you subscribe to that website or, you know, that kind of thing. And so once we learn why we crave what we crave, then we can start to change it. Well, the good news is, as you said, we can control our cravings and we even can do so in about two weeks. And this book teaches us how, so you write that you have had issues with food yourself as have I, and honestly, really who hasn't? And you write, I finally made it to the other side and I was a new person. So what does it feel like to be in control of your cravings? I'm not quite as far along the path as you are. I'm getting there, but I, um, I'm not quite as far along. I'm not far along enough to write a book about it. We'll just say that. So (laughs) how, how does it feel to be on the other side? Well, with anything, you know, we're all a work in progress, right? So I never claim to say that I have not had a craving or I don't have cravings. I do think that it's a discipline um, to learn to change your cravings. And as you know, I really go deep into in the book um, into like how to change um, our cravings because once you understand the pathways, you can then go back and say, oh, that's why I crave a Kit Kat every time I have a, a, you know, go, go to a game and, or a, somewhere with my family, because it reminds me of the time when I was a kid and we always used to get Kit Kats when we would go to the, to the game or the movies. Right. So when you understand, okay, this is what's going on, then you can say, let me rewire that. And let me make that dark chocolate, or let me make that something else rewarding to me. Um, that will still create a dopamine release, um, but it will be a positive thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the name of the game. Well, before we get into the five steps, I just want to say that I learned so much from this book, not the least of which was confirmation at last, at last, that McDonald's Coke does taste better. And there's a reason for that. Can you tell our listeners why that is that because I've always said, well, it's just the Coke just tastes better at McDonald's. And I can't explain why, but it just does. But there is a reason why. Can you tell our listeners why? Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating. So um, Coke itself is an extremely uh, dopamine producing drink, right? Mm -hmm. When you I don't know about you, but um, even for me, like a diet Coke really elicits a dopamine response, meaning like you want it, uh, you crave it. 
And when you have it, um, you get a release of dopamine. Then of course, like I said, quickly it dissipates into wanting more. Um, and that uh, can be manipulated even more if you take the syrup of the Coke and you dilute it a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what the thought is, is that when you get a Coke from McDonald's, it's a slightly more concentrated than the can. And um, what's happening is that the ice interacts with a little bit more of the syrup taste. Um, and so it's subtle, but it's definitely stronger. Um, it elicits a stronger dopamine response. And um, the straws are made in such a way um, that you get a little more for every sip. Mm-hmm. Um, and the combination of flavors was was intentional, right? Like, I think one of the biggest things you have to understand is like, it's intentional that they make it a little more enticing than the actual, like you take something that has a bliss point, like a Coke, and you make it even more blissful. And you see people coming back for more. And when they come back for more Coke, they're going to order a cheeseburger and fries. Yeah. Well, for the record, Diet Coke has never done it for me. It's always been Coke and Dr. Pepper. It's got to be regular for me. But yeah, I mean, it's just there is always, it's just always tasted better at McDonald's. And I would, I would not even want to have McDonald's food. I would just want to have like their the drink because it just, it, and now it just makes a lot of sense. And also through the book, I feel really validated that sometimes our cravings aren't our fault and that a lot of it is because hunger neurons are sending signals to our brain. Just, there's just a lot in here that, as I told you offline, it's very digestible, no pun intended, but it (laughs) makes it make sense. And it really gave me a lot of grace around food and what I crave because you know, some of it is emotional eating for me, for example, but some of it, like these hunger neurons sending signals to my brain, that's not necessarily on me. So I would love if you could explain what triggers the hunger neurons to send those signals to our brain. So we have hunger neurons and, um, just to make a more global conversation, um, that we talk about in the book is that we have both neurons that are sending signals. We have, um, hormones that are sending signals. And then we have gut bacteria Mm -hmm. that are sending signals. And so what happens is when the hunger neurons um, sense that there's food in the stomach and their, um, their stretch receptors also in the stomach and the hunger hormones uh, also detect food in the stomach, all of these things um, send signals to our brain. Like we have hormones like uh, leptin, which are, is our satiation hormone. We have hormones like CCK, it's to kinine. We have, um, uh, hormones like neuropeptide YY. We have neurons like the AGNRP neurons. Um, we have gut bacteria and these are like literally in working in concert to sense when we are full and when we should keep eating. And so it's like when people think about, hey, um, you know, how does this all work? It's not just like, oh, you just, there's a switch that tells you you're full and um, tells you you're hungry. It is like this very, very coordinated practice between all the different parts of your system. And so I think that it's, it's very, very interesting for me because I thought, oh, there must be just like one thing that goes on and off. You know, when you're hungry, um, you are 
um, getting lept uh, ghrelin. And then when you're full, you're getting leptin, but no, there's like neurons uh, that are telling there's stretch receptors and there's even bacteria, which I think is the most fascinating of it all. There's bacteria that tell your brain that you're full. Mm -hmm. Well, to control hunger, you've got so many tips, like get out in the sunlight. I didn't know this because sunlight is hunger suppressing, which explains yeah. a lot because in COVID I was indoors so much. I have a vitamin D deficiency. And so that makes a lot of sense. And so we just need to get out in more sunlight, avoid ultra processed foods to control those hunger hormones. And this was interesting to not eat carbs first in a meal, like the bread basket at a restaurant, which is a sneaky trick to yes. help us want to eat more. I, and so we should start with greens, like with a salad and avoid carbs first. So the more I read your book, the more I honestly kind of got angry at the food industry, food yeah. advertisements, um, and, and so on and so forth. So is the food industry contributing to this? You know, the short answer is yes. Mm -hmm. um, the long answer is uh, we live in a capitalistic society. You know, we live, uh, they, like I said, with the McDonald's Coke, like they want you to buy more burgers and fries. And so they want to make the Coke more tasty so that you come back um, for their other food, right? Um, they're just trying to make a profit. And do they want to turn a blind eye to some of the negative effects? Sure. Um, do they want something like what I was proposing is, I, after writing this book, I thought, oh my God, we need a sticker on food. It should just be clear to us. Is it ultra processed or is it not? Because then we can say to our family, like if you're choosing an ice cream, right? It's very hard to know, oh, is this ice cream ultra processed? Because it just seems like the fat, sugar and you know content um, is all the same, right? Ice creams. But now I'm learning, oh my God, ultra processed version is so much worse for you, right? So there should be a label on everything that says, hey, I know you want to have soup, but here's the ultra processed soups and here's the non ultra processed soups. Because I thought, well, after learning what the food industry does to food, I literally don't want to have those things at all because it's altering our brain chemicals and it's altering our hunger hormones and it's killing our gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get into the five steps. They are replenish, rewire, reset, refresh, and retrain. Say that five times fast. I'm going <laughs> to yeah, exactly. actually, I'm going to say it one more time so that listeners can, can get it in full replenish, rewire, reset, refresh, and retrain. So to get in the weeds with all five listeners, you've got to grab the book. It, it is so, so good, but I want to stay on step one, replenish for a moment. And I want to talk about the super six foods. Can you tell us what those super six are and, and why those foods made the cut? Okay. So the super six foods made the cut because we get so fixated on vegan, paleo, carnivore, low carb, keto, that we forget that there is a whole world out there of microbes that live in our body that actually make a lot of the decisions of our day-to-day. -day. They, they create hunger hormones. They create happiness hormones, dopamine, serotonin. They create um, uh, bad uh, negative blockers of happiness um, and inflammatory factors. 
And so we need to keep those gut bacteria happy. And my plan is one where now that they knew, oh my gosh, most of our cravings and most of our hunger um, signals and most of our happiness um, inflammation um, all comes from the gut. And we should be working to actually replenish that gut bacteria instead of trying to, um, you know, follow some kind of restrictive diet. Mm -hmm. Well, there's so, like, oh, I can go, do you want me to go through the six? Yeah, do it. Love it. Okay. Um, or, this is a test because I'm not looking at any, I obviously know them, but I don't want to miss one. Okay. So glucose and glucosinolates, glucosinolates are a class of foods that you might find familiar, like kale and broccoli and uh, bok choy and Brussels sprouts. And these are, um, these are things that, um, provide a lot of value, a lot of food to the gut bacteria. And so you can look at the list, but there are a lot of the familiar healthy greens, um, that, you know, you might be eating. Um, but you should have one of those every single day. That's kind of how I structure this uh, super six is like have one of these foods a day mm -hmm. so that you can crowd out some of the bad stuff. So number two is polyphenols. Polyphenols are the fun um, brightly colored vegetables and fruits. Um, so I say fun because it's also dark chocolate and green tea and coffee because those all have polyphenols in them too, but so do blueberries, um, you know, and so do, uh, spices, for example, they all have polyphenols. They're also really great food for the gut. Um, and number three is fiber in all the forms. So probiotic fiber, prebiotic fiber. So fiber can be tough. If you are someone new to fiber, you probably want to stick to something as easy as baby spinach, right? Mm -hmm. If you are not new to fiber, then, uh, you know, pile on the probiotic foods, which is like kimchi and miso. And some people have trouble starting with, the fermented foods in the beginning because their gut's not even used to the simple fiber. So that's why we put it in one category is fiber. And then um, we said, uh, so that's number three. And number four is dopamine boosting foods. Now, listen, um, I would say that dopamine boosting foods are one of the areas that I think most people don't even know about, that there is a precursor to dopamine called tyrosine and it's contained in foods. And you can get it from many, many normal foods. You don't have to get like a very fancy dopamine booster um, supplement or whatever. So um, dopamine boosting foods is number four. Um, number five is amino acid mm -hmm. boosting foods. So amino acid boosting foods is like high protein foods. So I always, I always wondered about this because there was this protein um, threshold hypothesis. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but this is like the theory that you eat more junk food because it's so low in protein that your body um, is trying to find the protein in it to actually stop you from eating it. Does that make sense? Like a protein mm -hmm. threshold. And yeah. now we realize, oh, gut bacteria love amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. And so amino acid boosting foods are um, the fifth category. And the last one is omega-3 fatty acid um, mm -hmm. foods. So omega-3s are all the rage right, for brain health, but it's also really, really important for gut health. And I think that if we concentrate on getting omega-3 foods and then all the other five um, categories, so six total categories every day, I honestly think that you'll start growing the right gut bacteria so that you can crowd out um, 
some of that sugar loving, um, you know, junk food loving bacteria, and you can actually use them as motivation or, you know, quote unquote motivation to eat better. Um, that's, I think the intention. So good. And that is just, but one of the tips and tricks and (laughs) that you'll, that you'll get from this book. It's, it's literally almost writing questions for this was so hard. Cause I could have, I could have asked you a hundred different questions and it's just so that. relatable because, you know, like I said, all of us struggle with food to a degree. Some of yeah. us, uh, some of us have a better metabolism and are able to not see the results as much as me, for example, at my worst, when you could definitely tell that I was having issues with food, but we right. all, we all have these issues with food in some way. And so many questions are answered in this book. There are, there are actually a couple of tests we can do that you talk about in the book to figure out if we're really hungry or not. That's such a good point because so often we mistake hunger for say boredom or, um, you know, differentiating between whether or not what we're feeling is thirst or hunger. We might just be thirsty. And for me, someone who's always struggled to drink enough water, drink enough liquids, period. It's not even that I'm just sitting around drinking Cokes and coffee and tea and and maybe the quote unquote wrong liquids. I just don't drink a lot throughout the day. I only really drink at meal times. And so sometimes when I think I'm hungry, it's really that I'm thirsty. So how much water should we drink to find out? Let's say we start feeling what we're interpreting as a hunger pain. How much Um, water should we drink to find out if it's really thirst or hunger? Yeah, that's a really great question because, you know, you'll ask the the biggest experts in the world and they will tell you that there's actually no data that says, oh, just have eight glasses of water. You know, that's really not something that has been proven by science. So you really, it depends because you could be, um, one person can be six foot two and 250 pounds and another person could be a hundred pounds and five foot. And they obviously have different hydration needs and they have different activity levels. And so, um, I always say that if you're thirsty, that's already a sign that you're a little too late. So I think Rachel, for you, you're going to have to watch, like, if you're starting to get thirsty, that's a sign that you're already a little late on your water. So you should be drinking Mm. to, um, not drinking to thirst, but drinking a little bit more than to thirst. Your pee should be light yellow in, um, in the toilet, like almost like, uh, a very, very light yellow shouldn't be dark yellow Mm -hmm. or orange Mm -hmm. or brown or Mm -hmm. all the other. Um, and if it's red or some other color, you should definitely, um, get that checked out. Mm -hmm. Um, so, Drinking water is one of the best strategies to keeping yourself happy and um, even uh, even minimal amounts of dehydration, as you know, can affect your hunger levels and um, your attention and cognition, surprisingly. Yeah, I believe that because, you know, and I, I've started to try and I'm not foolproof at this. I don't do this hundred percent every day, but I really try to, to wake up in the morning. And the, one of the first things I do is a make my bed that I always do that. That's not foolproof, but B is B is because, you know, if you make your bed first thing, you always feel like you've accomplished at least something in the day. I love that. Yeah. I've heard that before, but I always feel like, um, yeah, it's good to hear that you think that. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, in a day where sometimes you don't check anything off of your to-do list, it's just, you're dealing with 
huge to do items that won't get solved. At least you can do one thing and get that done. And then secondly, I drink 32 ounces of water if I'm having a good day and sometimes just 16, but that also makes me feel really productive. And that also really helps me curb my hunger cravings too. And so being hydrated is so important. We hear that all the time in every wellness podcast, every wellness book, but it's, it's, it has such grains of truth because it really does matter. And if we drink more water, then we might eat less food. And that is always for me a good thing. Also, I wanted to point out, there's a second test that I really appreciated and it's called the raw veggie test, which determines whether we're physically hungry or emotionally eating. So can you explain that to our listeners? Okay. There's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of people who make fun of this test because this is a part of this intuitive eating, um, you know, idea, but, um, so it is funny. Yes. Of course. Like there's times where you, um, even if, uh, you're like the, the joke was, um, Hey, you're craving ice cream, but you should have raw vegetables instead to check if you really want it. And you know what I mean? So yes, there's a time and place for dessert. Um, you should definitely treat yourself when um, it's appropriate. But for some of us, uh, many of us, it can be out of control. It can be to the point where we might be craving unhealthy things more than we want. So this is what the vegetable test is. So for example, if you love vegetables, like I do, um, imagine yourself with the biggest plate of your favorite vegetables. Okay. And they're presented to you. Would you eat that right now? Or are you full from the sense of nutrition, but you're just craving something? So Mm -hmm. if you're not sure, this is a great test. You um, imagine or actually physically get um, a bowl of vegetables or plate of vegetables and say to yourself, go ahead, eat, you know, eat this. um, And then you can decide at the end of it if you still want the dessert. And so a lot of us, what we're doing is we're not really hungry. You know, um, we are not hungry for the vegetables and it makes us bring attention to the fact that, wow, I'm not actually physically hungry for nutrients. I'm just hungry for something else. Maybe I'm craving comfort. Maybe yeah. I need a little dopamine boost or I need a little serotonin. Maybe I need a little nap. Maybe my sleep, you know, maybe my stress levels yeah. are a bit out of control. And we start to more than, you know, depriving yourself of that treat. What it's doing is bringing attention to the fact that you might have needs, um, you might have cravings that are different than needing nutrition. Yeah. And that's so huge because when, when it's all, I wish I could go back and having, having had read this book years ago and realize that when I was looking for something, it wasn't food. It was yes. some, it was something else entirely. Same, I think that, same with me. I think that would have changed a lot of my food choices. And I would like to know how hormones play into all of this. Cause I know that women, especially, um, will notice that at the end of their cycle. So I would call it, um, for most women, that's day 21 through 28. And people consider that their PMS time or the week before their period. Okay. That's a great way to think uh, about the timing of this. Um, they will notice that their hormone levels um, are have changed and their appetite is different, their cravings are different. So 
often when you have really low estrogen and progesterone, um, your serotonin drops as well. And so you try to get the serotonin from easy carbs. Um, and so, uh, you know, bread and, uh, pizza and popcorn and all those things, they give you boosts of serotonin. And so that's why you create these simple carbohydrates. Um, now, when we're talking about hunger hormones, hunger hormones are not only happening during your cycle, but they even happen on a daily basis. Like you have hunger hormones that um, tell you to eat and tell you when you're full every single day. And if you understand, um, balancing these hormones, so we always talk about, oh, um, bringing up our, you know, balancing our estrogen and progesterone and testosterone or whatever, mm -hmm. we never really talk about what about, you know, ghrelin and leptin and CCK and neuropeptide, YY, all these and insulin. These are hormones that actually really also run our mood, um, and our hunger and cravings throughout the day. So I think it's really important for us to learn about all of these hormones. Yeah, I do too. And I mean, I'm, your book actually isn't even that long. It's it's maybe around like what, 250, 300 pages? Yeah, it's pretty short. Yeah. It's pretty short all, all told, but there's so much packed in there, but yet it never felt overwhelming. And and this, oh, and good. this kind of, these kind of books often feel very overwhelming to me because, you know, all of the science words that I don't understand as a writer and, you know, I just, but it doesn't ever feel that way in this book. It never feels overwhelming. It's again, very digestible. And so I've got a lot of listeners who are going to pick up your book when it comes out, but I'm trying to leave listeners these days with a takeaway tip that listeners can do today to start doing something new that's good for themselves. So in this case, I'm going to ask you, what is one takeaway tip that listeners can do today to help control their cravings? So even before they read the book, which I guarantee okay. you'll go pick up the book, but what is one thing we can start doing today to help control cravings? I love that. Um, one thing you can start doing, I'll give you two things, two things you can start doing today, one food and one non-food. Okay. The non-food thing is start getting more natural light, natural sunlight, even if it's um, cloudy gray day, um, it doesn't need to be bright and sunny Bahamas like type thing. Um, getting natural light activates a hormone in our brain called alpha MSH, which helps with satiety. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, getting the food item that I would say is getting more fermented food in your diet. So some, most people I've surveyed people on, in my audience on social media, they think that that's one of the biggest things that they, they, they've done is adding one, just one fermented food to their diet. It could be as easy as apples, raw apple cider vinegar, um, a probiotic yogurt. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be something, uh, as fancy as kimchi or sauerkraut even. Um, so those are two things that somebody could do just today, like right after this, um, go and pick up a, a raw apple cider vinegar, yeah. add it to some water or your salad. Well, you know what? I've, I'm going to add something else to my morning routine. Okay. Make the bed, drink okay. the 32 ounces of water. Boom, yeah. boom. Then I have a deck and it's beautiful and it's very underutilized. So I'm going to go outside and get some sunlight. First thing, just get five minutes, just sit out there for five minutes, drink my water out there even, and just get my sunlight right off the top. What do you think about that? I think that would I love that idea because that's like, I, I like to, um, I like to kind of, um, tag team and stack the habits because it becomes so much easier when you're saying like, Oh, I'm going to do a couple things at once that make me mm -hmm. feel good. Um, I love to get some sunlight. I always say like sky before screens, my day is just better. Yeah. 
That's so good. Sky before screens. Okay. I appreciate that. And yeah, not dive into the trap of my phone. First thing, just take yes. it outside, just five minutes outside. Okay. I can do that. That is something I can do tomorrow. You can do it. Yeah, and, exactly. And that is easy to, easy to implement. Well, this has been a delight, just like the book was. And I want to ask you for my last question. What do you hope readers get from the book? What do you hope that readers yeah. ultimately learn? You know, Rachel, it's so much more than oh, losing the last five pounds. Okay. For me, this book is about learning how the mind body connection works. If we learn how our mind body connection works, if we learn why we crave what we crave, we can actually change the course of our mental health, our physical health. I think the missing picture in the world today is that we don't recognize this gut brain immune connection. I call it the big picture, brain immune gut picture. And it's leading us to a very dark place of depression, disease, obesity, diabetes, all of that. And so the bigger picture of this is like, listen, you can take the information in this book and you can change the trajectory of your life and you can change the trajectory of your family's life and your friend's life. And slowly we can actually make an impact in the world in a way that could change things um, and change the trajectory of disease. I love that so much. The book also includes, by the way, listeners, tons of recipes to help keep us full. In addition to so much information that we really could have been on here for three hours talking about, it is so hopeful for me to know that we have power here and that we can control our cravings. And within two weeks at that, that's not a very long time. The book is, again, I'm so effing hungry, why we crave what we crave and what to do about it. And it is out February 28th. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so thankful for you for having me on and your interest. So much to think about, such good information. Thank you again, Dr. Shaw, for being here. The book, again, is I'm So Effing Hungry, Why We Crave, What We Crave, and What to Do About It. It's out right now and truly is, as I said to Dr. Shaw, so understandable and easy to comprehend, even for a lay person like me. So we are rocking and rolling right into season seven with no rest for the weary. We will be back on Tuesday with a famous face you know from television talking about a topic many of you listeners can relate to, mom guilt and the plight of the working mom. Talk to you then.